Well, thanks everyone uh, for joining us uh, here on the Flashpoint podcast. Uh, it is Tuesday, July 5th, and uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the situation across the country, but, but specifically in the Deep South, uh, now that abortion has uh, been basically through trigger laws, been made illegal in a large part of the country uh, since the Supreme Court decision on June 24th, striking it down. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think I really need to go super into the details on a lot of this. I mean, you know, we all kind of know what's going on. We know that um, the, the, the Democrats don't appear to have much of a solution to the problem, uh, while the Republicans have taken advantage of the opportunity to basically uh, make abortion illegal as much as possible and to uh, restrict the rights of people who who need uh, reproductive health care and those services. Uh, so I think we'll just jump right in because I'm joined today uh, by Lori Roberts, um, an advocate and expert uh, on the... Um, on the topic, uh, Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, uh, executive director, um, in lives in, in Mississippi and Alabama. Um, Lori, uh, I, I was just, I, I just, I guess maybe we'll just start here. Um, how, how are things right now? Uh, how has it been over the last couple of weeks? I mean, what, what, what's it been like for you and for, um, and, and for the people that you work with and work for? It's, um, it's every day is new, right? Um, ever since Roe fell, excuse the noise in the background. I'm really sorry. Um, ever since Roe fell, it's opened up new <coughs> legal issues, um, that we couldn't have really foreseen, um, and that we're dealing with almost in real time. So it's not like I've been explaining in other um, media places. It's not just that abortion became illegal. It's that the fall of Roe unleashed all of these laws that were being held back by the existence of Roe v. Wade. So like laws that criminalized um, so-called conspiracy laws, like conspiracy to help someone get an abortion, conspiracy to help someone <clears throat> find an abortion provider whether it's a legal provider or not. So now you have states like Alabama where people are waiting for the AG to evaluate whether or not it's legal to even take someone out of the state or help them to go out of the state for an abortion. Um, and then you have other states looking to enact laws to try to make it illegal to help someone go out of state to get an abortion. So um, it's not just that it's like, oh, we've closed all the clinics in our, our state. No, that's not enough for people. Um, they really want to make it so that you can't even leave. Yeah, that's wild. Like the, you know, uh, stopping people from leaving, <laughs> leaving the state is, I, I mean, that's the kind of escalation um, that if you had said this, I feel like if people had said, for most people, if you had said this, you know, uh, even just a couple months ago, they would have said that you were, you know, uh, being over the top, that you were exaggerating. But 
no, it sounds like that's exactly what's happening. I mean, it is. And also, let me just say that two years ago, I mean, even even when in 2016, when we were saying, you know, Roe is at risk, you know, Roe could absolutely, you know, be gone. First of all, a lot of people were like, what's Roe? But secondly, people were like, oh, abortion rights will never really go away. You know, maybe in Mississippi, maybe in Texas, but not in other states. This isn't a real, I mean, like people really treated those of us who do this work like we were histrionic. <laughs> like we all, like we all were, you know, like, like we all were just being ridiculous. Like this was just the most absurd thing. Um, and we've known that this was a risk for, you know, years. Um, I don't think, I don't think even a lot of the people on our side could have foreseen the quick escalation um, in the move towards some of these archaic laws that we couldn't even um, necessarily foresee in the law books because they're just so far back. Like some of these laws are like all the way back to like the 1800s. Yeah, they've, and, yeah, they, they, the trigger laws you're talking about, right? <laughs> the ones that just no. like have like snapped back into place. Some of them aren't even trigger laws. Like some of these like um, conspiracy laws go back to like pre-Civil War times, depending on the state. So like you have just different layers of laws about abortion that that say like that were outlawed due to Roe or even that um, states stopped using over time, but they just never got rid of. Right. Right. Yeah. Like they were just like kind of hanging there, but they were like struck down temporarily. But like the minute that that the right. Exactly. Do, yeah. Yeah. So now you have these all of these like I like to call them Frankenstein laws because they just never really die because they're just still there. Right. And now here we go. Right. So um, there's in, that's interesting to be in that landscape where a lot of abortion funds is not just Yellowhammer fund, but in Alabama, but other funds across the country are having to pause what they're doing and rethink how they do their work or, you know, wait for legal opinions to find out if, if their work is still legal, um, or, you know, figure out how they're going to challenge it. It's just a very strange <laughs> it's a strange position to be in when your work is basically just giving people money and like so that they can make self-determined choices to get where they, they want to go and do what they want to do with their own bodies and lives. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, running around like the thing I always joke about is that, you know, anti-abortion activists act like we're out here trolling for pregnant women with a big net in a in an ice cream truck or something and like you know, luring them off the street and making them come get abortions <laughs> when people actually have to come find us. And then we assist them. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I was wondering, can, can you just kind of walk us through like what, um, what it looks, what, what it's looked like in, in, you know, the, uh, <laughs> In, in, in the first weeks uh, since since the decision came down, um, because I know that when we talked when we talked last, like I think the decision had been had been leaked, and we were talking about and and also when we talked last year um, about about the law itself, um, and you were talking about like you know kind of the 
the struggles um, and the difficulties that uh, reproductive rights, uh, reproductive health services providers were already kind of going through at that time. It it does seem that with uh, with the Supreme Court striking down Roe, that then things probably got a lot worse, a lot quick, uh, a lot more quickly. Can you can you kind of like explain how how that happened in real time for those of us who who don't live there and who and, and who weren't there at the time and, and maybe don't live in in those states? Yeah, I can say for in Alabama, it was it was chaos. Um, literally that day clinics closed. So in Tuscaloosa, which is where I'm at currently, um, the clinic in Tuscaloosa had to close that day. Right. So that's the last day that they performed procedures or, um, did, did abortions. Um, and everyone who had appointments past that day had to be called and rescheduled out of state. Um, those patients were horrified and, um, and very scared. Um, a lot of those people were calling Yellowhammer Fund just devastated and crying and, um, and worried about whether or not they'd be able to make it out of state. Um, you're talking about, you know, maybe their, their appointment would have been an hour away. Maybe they already went through their first appointment um, because, you know, Alabama has two appointments. Now they're going to have to go all the way to Atlanta where they don't have a, a two appointment requirement. But like now it's like they went through all of that kind of for nothing. But also now they've got to drive maybe five or six hours away, depending on where they're from. Um, and, and just sorry, just to interrupt for, for anybody who doesn't understand, like the purpose of these two appointment meetings is basically to traumatize the person uh, who wants to get an abortion and try to convince them not to do it through. Yeah. Through, yeah. Through, through this kind of like go home really and think manipulative. About it. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, it's not just that it's to it's to put a another barrier in your access, you know, like making you have to get off work two times, making you have to get childcare two times, making you have to evade your abuser two times. Right. They know that having you go twice is harder. You know, a lot of times we have people, I mean, I can say this as someone who used to work a call line. I would have callers who would make it to their first appointment when they were six weeks right? And if they could have gotten care at their first appointment, they could have gotten an abortion at six weeks. But because they had to come back for a second appointment, they might not have gotten their abortion actually until 14 weeks because it took them that long to get another day off of work. Right? right. Yeah. And so I feel like that's what people don't understand is that when people go, I don't understand why it takes someone till they're 16 weeks pregnant to get an abortion, or I don't understand why it takes someone so long to decide that they want an abortion. It usually doesn't. <laughs> people know when they want to have an abortion, right? Sometimes people don't find out they're pregnant until later, but for people who know when they're pregnant, that they know there's pregnant at six or seven weeks, a lot of times they know by nine weeks that they want an abortion, but all of these steps are put in their way to make sure that they, they can't get an abortion early or that it takes them longer so that it'll cost more money. You know, putting two appointments in your way also makes it, you know, more likely that it's going to cost you more money. 
because the longer that you're pregnant, the more it costs. So all the things that anti-abortion um, activists say they don't want, they put policies in place to make those things happen. Right. It's totally intentional. Okay. So, so, so let's get back to, um, sorry for, yeah, like, I chaos. led you on to this digression, but you were saying, so, so then, so then you, you know, you're having to like reach people, uh, who already had one appointment for two appointments. People are having to go to Georgia. Uh, sorry. So go ahead. Yeah. So it's, um, it's rerouting a lot of people, rerouting them to Illinois, rerouting them to Georgia, rerouting them to Florida. Um, one of the things about the clinic in Illinois, can you still hear me? Yep, I got you. Um, like the clinic in Illinois that's outside of St. Louis, you know, their waiting time for appointments jumped from, you know, a couple days to now it's a couple weeks. Like you can't get an appointment for two to three weeks out. So, you know, the capacity at clinics that we're sending to people, sending people to, they only have so much capacity. So even the wait time at clinics that are able to see people, they're absorbing so many patients that their wait times are now extended. Which again, is like another barrier. Exactly. And I mean, and that's not accidental, right? We, we knew this was going to happen when you take away access in, in Louisiana and Alabama at the same time, plus Mississippi only has, I think, what, two more days of access because from 10 days from the time that Roe falls, Mississippi has access from, from the time the AG says, oh, okay, Roe has officially fell. They have 10 days, right? So Mississippi is no longer going to have access in a few days unless the court grants a stay, right? And so um, once those three states don't have access, I mean, where do all those people go? And right, we, right, and, yeah. and those three states have already been absorbing Texans for the last several months. So you're talking about, you know, 13 states just already activated trigger bans. All of those people have to go to other states. All those, all of those clinics can't absorb those people. So it's, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than chaos. It's rerouting humans who all have individual needs and issues one by one to try to get them where they need to go while also trying to navigate the new barriers that have been put in our way to being able to help do that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more of the, and, and this is kind of swinging back to what we were talking about before we, we moved on to this kind of, you know, uh, hour by hour time, uh, day by day thing. But, um, these new barriers that are put up in place, um, the, you know, criminalizing, taking people out of the state, uh, you know, criminalizing, assisting people to travel. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I know that I said even a couple of months ago, like this seemed like it was, it was a fantasy. I would even say like, e e even when Roe fell, it seemed like, like people were treating this like a fantasy. Like there was no way that, um, that you that, that going across state lines was going to be like de facto criminalized or that they were going to be checking people after they before they leave and when they get back to make sure that that their pregnancy is still uh viable or whatever but um it it increasingly seems like that may be a possibility and and that's not I don't think that's hyperbole I mean it does seem like no. 
they are really trying to uh to to make to take control of of people's bodies uh to an extent that I don't think we've seen in living memory. Um and no. and and uh, yeah, so you obviously don't feel that that's hyperbole either, right? Um not at all. And it's very scary. I mean, I I can no longer get pregnant, but my six daughters can. Um and I just find it horrifying, really. Um, I mean, I, I would hope that we're not going to get there, right? We, I want to say I have faith in our, in our democratic institutions, but I don't anymore, right? Like, I don't see how we could look around at our country after what has happened in the last five to six years what's been going on in our courts like you know we just lived through a coup attempt <laughs> you know it's like I don't I don't know that our our democratic institutions are that sound right now um we have a whole lot of justices that have been installed very much to uphold these types of um these types of beliefs so I mean they're theocrats and so when you have a bunch of theocrats that are holding power, they can, they can reinforce these things when they go through um, our, our governmental channels. I mean, they're literally weaponizing our own governmental power against us. Yeah. Installed is, is certainly like the right way to put it. I mean, they, they have been put in place. This is, part of a, a a long long strategy right very long i mean this is this is the federalist society su- succeeding well beyond their wildest dreams you know like this is this is the the marriage of the catholic church and the evangelicals like getting reaching their goals and jackpots just you know they're they're so happy right now because their goal has never just been to come for Roe. I think it's really funny. I was watching this TikTok. My daughter sent me this TikTok where this, where this, this, I call her the new Candace Owens. I don't know her name, but she's like trying to debunk that, you know, abortion, these abortion bans are tied to white supremacy and are, are being fueled by fear, fear of the white replacement theory. And, and she's like, oh, well, black women have such a high abortion rate and wah, 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 wah even if all of what she was saying was true, it wouldn't matter because in order to get to another way that white women reduce the amount of babies they have, which is birth control, they had to come for Roe first. Right? Like, I think that's what people fail to understand is like increasing the white birth rate. There's multiple channels they have to go through, right? Taking out abortion is one of them, but so is taking out birth control access and to do that you have to take out cases like you have to take out row first before you can come for all these other cases that that row stood on yeah you know um i had i had the journalist catlin burns on a couple months ago and we were talking we weren't really talking about row but this was before uh the draft decision came down but she mentioned that um that Roe 
and and this is you know like not 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 a take that she had that like nobody had ever had before right but she was just you know it like stating like the fact that like Roe is just the beginning and um like if you think it's going to stop there like it's not like look at all the different ramifications that this could have on uh multiple different uh aspects of American life and you're right like contraception is definitely one of them but it's also like they're also looking to like kind of upend a lot of the same civil rights uh that we've that we've gotten used to over over the past uh well certainly my lifetime and 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 and, and beyond um they they want to roll all of that stuff back and Roe and the right to privacy has been like one of the one of the cornerstones and one of the one of the building blocks of those rights and so it's not surprising that, that now that they've taken it down that they're going to now uh start to go further um and uh, you, you you talked a little bit about the 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 white supremacy uh connection um can you talk a little bit more about that for people who maybe didn't didn't listen uh to, to the first time that you came on or maybe are not like completely familiar uh with this aspect yeah i mean the history of restricting abortion access in america has always been linked to fears about you know the wrong people having too many babies or the wrong people coming into America in too big of numbers. So when you look at like the first bans on contraception and abortion, yes, they were linked to, you know, the American Medical Association trying to get rid of midwives, um, especially black midwives, but also it was tied to fears over immigration. Except for it wasn't, of course, uh, brown immigration as it is now. It was more um, the folks who hadn't been acclimated into whiteness yet. So oh my goodness, we've got all of these Jewish people and all of these Italians and, you know, all of these, you know, ethnic groups that we don't approve of. And we've got all these Catholics. There's all these people who aren't, you know, um, white Protestants that we approve of. What are we going to do? What can we do to increase the white Protestant birth rate? Oh, I know because, you know, these, especially middle-class and upper-class white women were, were having less babies. And they were like, we can restrict um, access to birth control and to abortion and that's exactly what they did and so you see a lot of these anti-abortion laws creeping up and you see a lot of um, you know laws against contraception right and you see our first like laws against you know interstate um, just passing information about contraception or sending contraceptive devices and all of that and so that tracks to now too Right. I mean, like, it's not just how all of a sudden abortion bans were super, super, you know, urgent, um, right along with the with the talk about the white replacement theory. But it go it tracked with all of the, oh, my goodness, we can't let any more brown people in the country. Oh, my goodness, we need to be sending a lot of black and brown people back to where they came from. I mean, and it's even come up in conversation in CPAC. I mean, you can Google this, but a lot of the rhetoric has has um, converged. So it's been, you know, if we want to talk about replacement and and uh, what I'm saying, this is what they've said, not me. But there's been I'm paraphrasing, but where there's they'll say stuff like if we want to talk about how, you know, we're being replaced, we need to talk about the the hundreds of thousands of of new lives that are that are cut short in the womb every year right 
so it's this it's this convergence of both things where it's you know not only oh my goodness there's all of these black and brown people having too many babies and that are there's too many of them but oh my goodness white women you all are the problem you're not you're not having enough <laughs> babies you know for the white race right like it's it the 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 attack here is going at is 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 going at a number of different people for a number of well maybe not a number of different reasons but a number of different aspects of the same reason right like like it's exactly. it's, it's it's a multi-pronged attack exactly it's well it's always been right so it's it's interesting that of course getting rid of abortion access comes on the black on the backs of black and brown women right um and black and brown people it's always been Oh my goodness, look at them. Look at those. Look at I mean, if you really look at the rhetoric around abortion, it's very much a shaming of black and brown people you allegedly using abortion as birth control, right? Look at those poor women who overly use you know, overly use abortion. They're so careless, they're so slutty. Like look at them. They're all like drug users and they're um, you know, and they stand outside of abortion clinics where primarily, you know, black women go to with those, help, let us help you love your baby, like as if black women don't know how to love our own kids, like fuck out of here. Um, and so like they do that kind of stuff. And then they go to state legislatures and say, like, help us, help us to end the, you know, abortion is black genocide, help us to, you know, increase the black birth rate and they do not care about increasing the black birth birth rate. They do not care about black babies because if they did, they'd be enacting policies to help black children. And they do not do that. What they are interested in is utilizing black and brown bodies, specifically black bodies as a cudgel to be able to get to what they really want, which is access to restricting white bodies and producing more white babies. And let's talk and, a little bit. Oh yeah, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. And 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 that just is what it is. And I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand, or why I just think people sometimes just can't scratch the surface of something. Um, to see <laughs> the implicit racism of it, and also to see that how weapon how racism can we- be weaponized against white people. Yeah, I think I think for I think for a lot of people for there is this kind of reflexive fear maybe to that that you know if you start like thinking about it like that then you're going to have to start thinking about other things. You have to start like interrogating like other difficult uh parts of your life, right? Or or parts of parts of the society that you live in that might not be uh quite as comfortable. As yeah. uh, you know, and 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 I think that I think that that is like maybe the unconscious reason for that like snap resistance, you know. Yeah, well, it's probably a good time to, to start having those, having sitting with the discomfort and having those those thoughts and um, conversations because the truth is, um, as I've said on Twitter, you know, when they talk about the domestic supply of infants in the draft opinion and in the opinion they're not talking about black and brown infants per se, you know, like they're not out here 
boohooing about the fact that there's no babies to adopt because there's no black and brown babies. They, they're looking for white babies. Okay. And so when they're talking, when they're looking for, for kids to adopt, they're looking for poor white women to exploit, to get their babies. They're not coming for me and my babies. So um, I highly encourage white women to sit and think about this because it, this, this, nobody is exempt from this, but especially not white women. I mean, black and brown bodies are going to be disproportionately impacted in horrible, harmful ways. But if, if white women think that somehow they're going to get a pass, um, absolutely not. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to shift just slightly and, and to talk about, um, it, it kind of go off of something that we were talking about just a couple minutes ago, where, uh, just talking about the barriers to even having a child, um, in, in, in a lot of these, uh, states where, uh, where access has been restricted or just outright banned. Um, I've seen a kind of, it's like a half formed thought, but I can tell that it's going to start to become a position, a take, uh, by some right wing commentators who, who, who I assume are going to say, you know, like, well, uh, Banning abortion is maybe not the way we would have liked this to happen, but now that it's happened, really what we need to do is to is to make sure that we take care of the mother and take care of the child, and that's the kind of the, like those are the kind of policies that we need to focus on right now. Like that's the real uh, pro life uh, policy. So basically, like um, if uh, for anybody who who hasn't really been following this, what they're trying to do is kind of thread the needle on saying uh, that you know like that that they're happy with this court decision and the way that they're going to kind of uh, finesse it is to say that, you know, the real pro-life position here is going to be to take better care of mothers and infants and, and that, you know, like there's nothing we can do now. So let's just, let's just do that. Um, and obviously there are some uh, pretty major uh, problems with, with that approach, but I'm, I, I guess I'm curious as somebody for you as somebody, you know, who, who lives in, in one of those states where you know the social services are are not great, and and also you know there's there there, there are bans or bans about to be implemented. Um, how do you how do you kind of react to that argument and to that idea that that uh, that that that's like the correct solution that we need to take better care of 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 the mothers and children rather than to you know try to fight. Uh, for for getting abortion access back, or or to or to even you know e- even to do whatever is necessary uh, to get people the, the health care that they need. Yeah, so it's not even a half form thought for them. So in Mississippi and Alabama too, and all over the country, um, what the right wing has said is that their post row plan, and they've said it just like that. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves has literally come out and said. Our post-row plan is crisis pregnancy centers. We have a network of 30-some crisis pregnancy centers in the state of Mississippi, and we're giving them tax credits now, um, and we're going to be shoring them up so that, you know, when a, when a young woman, because they always say young woman as if, like, no one above 20 ever has an unplanned pregnancy, 
um, you know, experiences a crisis pregnancy, that they can go to these places and that they can get the help that they need for their, for their baby. Um, and the problem with that is a few things. Number one, crisis pregnancy centers are not clinics. <laughs> They're not clinics. They do not offer, offer evidence-based health information um, and they do not offer people all of their options. So that's number one. You're not you know, entitled to real information from them and you definitely are not entitled to all of your health options like an abortion from them. And in fact, they're going to lie to you about abortion in an effort to dissuade you from even ever thinking about possibly having an abortion. Um, the second problem is, is that they are all Christian based and all of the stuff that you get from them as far as um, items you have to earn. And part of earning them is taking classes from them that all have a religious component from the, to them. So like there's a coercive religious element to going to these places. They are going to talk to you from a religious bent and they're going to pray with you and blah, 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 blah. And that the real purpose of them are, is not to help people. It is to coerce people often into adoption, often into Christianity. Um, and like, also they do not tell people the truth about contraception. They tell people that contraception, um, you know, hormonal contraception is abortion, that the IUD is abortion, that plan B is abortion. So I'm not sure how in, con in good conscience you work with people in a state like Mississippi where we have some of the highest rates of new syphilis infections, highest rates of new gonorrhea and chlamydia infections, some of the highest rates of new HIV AIDS transmissions, and, and say that you're going to promote <laughs> resource centers where they tell you condoms don't work. And that abstinence is the only way for you to be safe. Um, that's not just not okay. It's, it's a health, public health disaster. Um, so that's what's scary to me because that's not the same as saying we're going to sure up TANF or we're going to make sure people can get SNAP or we're going to uh, match funds for our health department so we don't run out of free condoms, which we do in the state of Mississippi, run out of free condoms at the health department, right? TANF is missing $70 million from fraud and our state isn't looking for it, right? You know, like that's a real, Brett Favre stole part of our TANF money and he hasn't given it back yet. So like, there's like a huge scandal around TANF and nobody cares um, in the state government. So like, that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm saying is like, I don't see the policy stuff happening. What I see is them promoting their own Christian theocratic um, systems of quote unquote help that aren't that helpful and that um, most people hate going to, but they go to out of desperation and that in and of itself is coercive. Yes, people need help so that if they want to parent, they can and they should. People should have, people have the human right to be able to parent in safe and secure 
communities with their human right, you know, with their basic human rights met, water, you know, housing, um, basic clothing and, and safety and all of that stuff, but not, this isn't it. That's not what they're trying to do. Yeah, pretty bleak. Uh, pretty bleak stuff. Sorry so, that that was a long answer, too. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was great. That was great. That was great. Um, really informative. And it just, I'm mean, just a little, <laughs> just like, uh, uh, anyway, um, so, so I want to say two things. So one, um, we'll just, we'll just kind of open the phone lines now if people want to call in with questions. If you don't, that's fine. We'll, 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 we'll keep chatting. That's, we're, we're definitely able to do that. But, it, but if anybody wants to call in with a question or a comment, please, please uh, feel free. Um, but I, I did want to shift gears just a little bit here um, and, and say, you know, because part, um, part of the title here is where we go after Roe. And so I wanted to ask you, and, and you know, within, within the constraints of like what, you know, w- what you can say about what, um, what the plans are uh, for, for dealing with a post-Roe world. But I am kind of curious as to kind of where you see uh, things going and, and, and what kind of maybe, you know, options to help people might have, uh, you know, what, what people can do. Uh, whether they live in the state or not, um, obviously you would probably have more options for kind of on the ground help if you live in the state. But there, are, there are things that you can do to help from the outside as well. So I, I'm, I'm curious about that. And um, yeah, I am just, I, I guess that's just, kind of, it's kind of an open-ended question. You know, where do we go from at this point? Like what, like what is the future? What's the next step? You know, good and bad. Like what, like what options remain? Yeah, I mean. I am not anywhere close to being defeated. Um, Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund is not going anywhere. Um, we are very hopeful, um, even though our budget is still quite small. You know, we have been spurred on by an increase in donations and people wanting to fundraise for us. And that's one thing I want to say is that, like, you don't have to be the biggest donor yourself. Uh, Please activate your superpower. I'm speaking directly to y'all white people, especially white women. Y'all know your superpower is fundraising. (laughs) I say this in all seriousness, though, seriously. Like, get your people together. Do do a small fundraiser. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, $20,000. It can be $400. We really need the support and like all of that matters and we appreciate you. Um, we also do, you know, mutual aid and, um, and we do um, support, community support for people. So we give away diapers and period supplies and we have a free pantry and we have wish lists for all of that stuff. And so people can go on our website and support that kind of stuff. You know, in a post-Roe existence, all of that stuff is going to matter because the reality is, is some people are going to have to carry pregnancies to term that they did not intend to, and people are going to need to be there for them that are not CPCs. Um, that's reality, and and so we're preparing for that. Um, the other thing is, is that learn what you, whatever you can about self-managed abortion and be able to teach that to other people. So what I'm saying is, you know, learn 
the protocol for self-managed abortion with mesoprostol. Um, it is readily available online. You can um, go to like Women on Waves. They have that information. The WHO has that information. I say that because it's really an each one teach one kind of thing. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be with a large organization to to know that information and have that information. And that information could be life-saving for somebody because just getting your hands on pills is one thing. Knowing how to use them properly is another. Um, and, and getting that information out into your community is priceless. And I say this, it does not matter if you are in New York City or you are in the Mississippi Delta, somebody needs that information. Everybody can't get to a clinic. And I don't care if you in the Bronx or you in Belzona, Mississippi, there are people who are not gonna be able to access clinics and they need that information. So please, please, please make sure you know that information and you can tell people that information and, and you can be a resource. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely hype up abortion funds on your social media. We need that too. Um, support loosely formed grassroots organizations. And I don't mean these auntie networks that are popping up and stuff, but I do mean organizations that have been on the ground for a while that may not be 501c3s. Like you don't only have to support 501c3s. Um, Can you explain what a, you mean by that a little bit in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so a lot of people only want to support 501c3 charities. And I get that. I get that people are very wary of supporting organizations that they can't check out on some database that tells them like this place has a gold star. But in this post row moment, everybody can't be under the government's um, restrictions on what they can and can't do and move agilely in this space. So for us to be able to move quickly and, um, and do stuff in, in, the, in the best way sometimes is not to be a 501c3. So sometimes you might have um, a 501c3 and then another organization that's adjacent to that 501c3 that's not a 501c3. Maybe, C3. maybe it's just a loosely based charity. Maybe it's just a community group. Maybe it's just a mutual aid group. But, you know, like they have, you know, like they have receipts for the work they've been doing in the community, but they're just not a 501c3. Please support those groups because a lot of times they are not, they're not eligible for grants. They can only get small dollar donors and they need money to be able to do what they do. And I'm going to be really, really honest. A lot of times those folks are marginalized people and we are not getting paid. And if we are getting paid, we're getting paid crumbs. And nobody wants to donate to making sure we eat. <laughs> so I'm just keeping it really raw. Like, please support those folks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it it, it really does seem like there's a uh, like like there's just it, it like the situation at this point is so in flux that. Um, that these kind of decentralized groups are, are, are going to uh, like have, have much more of a role to play now. And, Absolutely. and it's just like a totally different landscape, right? Like it's not, 
it 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 almost feel it, you know honestly like I gotta say like and I, and I haven't really felt this way before um, it, to the extent that I do right now, but it's almost like we're talking to each other from two different countries, right? I know. Because because that's how much things have changed. Do you feel that way? I mean, like like or or like is that am I exaggerating or, or does it feel that way to you too? I mean, I do sometimes. Like when my friends call me from California, it does sometimes feel like they're in a different, almost like in a different time. It's like we're talking in a time machine. <laughs> sometimes, like when they talk about things and then I talk about things, it's almost like we're in, I don't know. It's almost like I'm in a time warp and like they're in a different time. Um, but sometimes it's always felt like that in a little bit in a way. I don't, um, it's just so bizarre right now. Um, it feels like I'm in a place sometimes that they're trying to turn into an ethno state. Yeah. I don't know how else to really say that. I haven't really spoke that out loud publicly until right now, but that's what it feels like. It feels like they're trying to turn the South into a white ethno state because why else would you be making these policies and, and making it such a hostile state for black people, black and brown people to be in to the point where you're, you know, like you're literally making it so people want to flee. Yeah. And the well, only time I can think of that was like this before was, I mean, in, in history was, you know, after Reconstruction and you had, you had the Great Migration, right? And so I'm just, I'm looking at all, a lot of my friends leave. Like every week, another person I know leaves. The yeah, they're, heading, they're, yeah they're, they're heading, heading uh, north, north or west. west. East. Yeah. They're gone. I mean, I have friends that have moved out of the country since since the since the leak decision. No, just in the last five years. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, just because they they saw what was coming. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. I mean, like you know, like I like I know a lot of people who are like, you know, can strongly considering leaving Texas if they can, or you know, I know some people who who, who can who can't afford to, and they're just kind of. I mean that level of desperation is 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 a whole other thing too. Like Every if you, if activist you I know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Every activist I know has an exit plan. Like if they're a visible activist or they're a very active activist, has an you know has some kind of some kind of plan. Because the expectation is that they won't be safe at a certain point. I mean, or could not, or could be possibly not be safe. I mean. I don't know how you would not have a plan, some kind of safety plan, um, realistically, just looking at what we're looking at right now and then just what we could possibly be looking at down the road, um, even if it's not leaving, just what's your safety plan? Yeah. Um. So I would say I would say for me I'm just always thinking like when the when all the clinics are closed where are all those protesters going to re re you know re um 
replace their energy to. You're talking. You're talking about the the anti-choice protesters. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna find something else to do with that with all that energy, and I I think it's gonna be you know attacking gay people. You know, it's gonna be attacking my community again, another one of my communities, right? <laughs> like it's gonna be that, and it's gonna probably be coming after abortion clinics. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think that that's at all like an unreasonable expectation. Like, so. you, you know, with with the uh, just with what just with 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 what's been going on. I mean, like one thing that struck me like earlier when you were talking about uh, the governor turning people over to these crisis centers, which are just basically like, like thinly veiled, if at all, like, uh, Christian crystal fascist, however you want to uh, put that, but like, you know, these, these groups and organizations that are just basically built to, uh, to promote like that specific point of view. And it's like, and then I was just thinking about, like, you know, there was that other Supreme court case where they basically said that, you know, there was that school in Maine that, uh, this this Christian school in Maine that can now get funding from the state and what yeah. that kind of leads to and it's just like like all of these little tiny tiny little chips like you know Roe obviously is not a tiny one like yeah. that's a big one right but I'm saying like there are all these other little tiny ones um, that that if you just kind of project where that's going it's not going anywhere good exactly and it and I keep trying to tell people they all go together. Right. Like right. it's not it's not just one thing and they're not they can't be seen in separation, just like the chipping away at voting rights can't be seen in separation. We can't reset or re um, retake our state houses. Right. Or our state senates. With our gerrymandered state maps. Right. And with voter suppression being the the rule of the day, and they know that. And so they're literally setting up systems where we can never have any kind of power voting. Right. They're restricting the the, the ability to vote so that they – I mean, it's minoritarian rule. It's, it's basically exactly. making – Yeah. So I'm like, you can't separate that from Roe. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, the impact – the impact of Roe is one thing, but when you take thing, when you say you're taking it back to the states, and then you have no power to vote in the states, it's right. a false. It's a false thing. It's it's like we have no power to correct anything. So I mean, it's all it's all the same stuff. I'm sorry if I feel like I've gotten off topic, but it's it's all connected i did a podcast not long ago about the connection between the tactics that are being used and i think i mentioned this before between you know the pro the pro so-called pro-life movement the anti-abortion movement the anti-trans movement and the anti-crt movement they are all connected they all kind of work on the same kind of fear but they all play by the same playbook too Right, And so I feel like that's what we should be watching for is that, you know, first of all, they're not done with abortion. They're not done with birth control. But the thing is, is they're, they're really just trying to wholesale roll us back to a time 
when white supremacy was not questioned <laughs> as much or if at all. And when women had not made gains, black people had not made gains, basically when everyone knew their place, that's what they want. Yeah, it's like when people say like they're not going to like reverse like uh, the loving decision. It's like, <laughs> uh, are you you sure about that though? Like, I don't, I'm not I, sure. I'm not so sure. Like, I'm not so sure because there's literally there's literally people on the right who want to get rid of the Fourteenth Amendment. Right, right, and of course they say that it's not. They don't want to bring slavery back. And you know what? Like maybe like like okay, maybe they don't. Like maybe that's not like their explicit. Uh, intention but they definitely want to get rid of the thing that ended it right and they so also what's the want, difference right because they want to get rid of birthright citizenship right exactly uh well, <laughs> sorry so, yeah i'm no. always so chi- i'm always such a ray of sunshine when i come through hey that i mean you know we're we're in the uh <laughs> you're preaching to the choir here um so why don't we why don't we wrap here? Why don't you just tell people once again like where they can donate to, where they can find you, um, and 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 what they can do to help? We'll just we'll just kind of hit that one more time here. Yes, um, msreprofreedomfund.org is where you can find Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund. We're at Fund MS Abortions on Twitter. You can find me at at Smart Statistic on Twitter. I am very online. Um, <laughs> I'm at the smart statistic on Instagram and I'm at a Bobo auntie number one, the number one on TikTok. <laughs> for anyone who wants to find me. Excellent. All right. Well, Lori, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, if you are listening to this show on the Colin app and you're listening live or on replay and you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow uh, if you're listening via syndication on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, do all the like, subscribe, follow stuff uh, on there. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, uh, thanks, thanks, Lori, once again um, for for a great discussion. Um, and and hopefully, uh, hopefully, the next time that we talk, we'll have we'll have something slightly better, slightly more uplifting <laughs> to talk about. Although I kind of doubt that, but who knows? Um, I'll try. I'll try. Excellent. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later.